In this digital first world, the old ways of recruiting are becoming obsolete. Or are they? The talent demands on every business has put TA squarely in the hot seat. Welcome to Talent Acquisition in the Trenches, a real dialogue podcast with talent acquisition pros closest to the front line. We want to talk to our peers who are actually doing the heavy lifting day in and day out. You're going to learn what their biggest challenges are and how they're being solved. I'm your host, Matt Reimer, and I'm here to talk about TA. I've been in TA for over 20 years, and what I know is that I don't know. I'm here to listen and learn just like you. No scripts, just real dialogue. My friends call me Reimer, so friends, let's create some new riffs with Reimer. Thanks for trenching in. Today's guest is Lindsay Brenner. She is the system director of TA for Mainline Health. Mainline is a not-for-profit health system with over 13,000 caregivers serving portions of Philadelphia and its western suburbs. Lindsay has 12 years of TA experience with her last eight at Mainline as a working mom. Her LinkedIn profile reads creative, solution-oriented, and data-driven talent strategist, a volleyball enthusiast, and most interesting to me, a girl mom. Lindsay is passionate about TA, and we plan to pick her brain today on a wide range of topics, including internal mobility, tech, candidate experience, and much, much more. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. Very happy to be here. I appreciate the intro. I've been a longstanding viewer of the podcast, so it's it's great to be a guest. Oh, we've so been thanks. trying to put this one together for a minute, so I've, I'm I'm excited to to have the chance to to sit with you here today. So, um, you know, we did a little bit of prep when I was actually out in Philadelphia. We were visiting, you know, Phenom. You and I had a chance to to have some coffee, and you know, one thing that that continues to kind of shine through for me is is really your your passion around internal mobility. And and so, you know, anyone that, that gets a chance to to check out your profile on LinkedIn, I think you're going to re- recognize pretty quickly that that you've been on a a fast track, if you will, into TA leadership, right? 12 years of experience and really the last 5 managing and leading teams, right? And and so, my first question is is some curiosity, right? So as a former captain of the Susquehanna University Division Three volleyball team, how did that experience shape your leadership style, maybe set you up for the path that you're on? And then maybe we can lean into our internal mobility discussion after we learn a little bit more about that. Yeah, I love that, Matt. Thanks. Any excuse to talk volleyball, I'm, I'm here for it. No, I, you know, I've been an athlete my whole life. Started very young competing. I was also a competitive swimmer, swam in college as well. But, you know, the, the volleyball piece, it's a true team concept. Volleyball, if you know a little bit about it, bump, set, spike, you want to kill the ball, get it to the floor. But you, you have to rely on others to get it done. You can't just be one person playing volleyball. There's six of you on the court. So with that mentality and kind of just who I think I innately am of someone who, you know, speaks up, encourages others, supports others, celebrates failures. Volleyball is a game of failure. Your every point is because someone messed up. Mm-hmm. And I think using that concept and translating it to being agile and pivoting quickly and learning off of mistakes and failures is how ultimately I translate that into professional work. Of yeah, fail quickly and mm-hmm. move on and figure out ways to pivot. Our our largest lessons, right, are are learned in in failure. And 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 I love that that you're comfortable, you know, kind of talking about that. You know, part of that too, I would imagine. And so this fast track, right? So good foundation, right? Good good extracurricular, you know, team sports leadership opportunity. 
Some of that, though, I would have to imagine is that, you know, you've, you've been in the right environment at Mainline Health for some, some you know, career progression, some opportunity. Can, can you talk to me a little bit about, you know, maybe your experience, you know, in talent acquisition and, and how maybe your organization supported some of that growth in, in your career? And, you know, I guess maybe is that scaling, if you will, at Mainline Health, or is that a one-off experience for, for Lindsay Brenner? Sure. Yeah. You know, again, I joined Mainline Health eight years ago, but prior to those eight years, I worked for a permanent placement recruiting firm that Mainline was one of my clients. Mm. And, um, you know, it's interesting that I always thought I would stay in agency world and do agency recruitment for a long time just because it was lucrative to pay back my student loans. Mm -hmm. But what it all came down to was believing in the brand in which you promote. And I think all of us TA folks can relate to that. If you don't believe in the product you're selling, you can't sell the product or you're selling a bad product and people will figure that out. Mm -hmm. So coming to Mainline, I was recruited through LinkedIn by one of the leaders here and very quickly just assimilated to the culture because they were already my client. And, you know, I, I had a leader that I reported to that saw me for who I was, who I showed up to work every day as who I was personally and how that translated into who I was as a professional. And very quickly, that leader was getting me involved in system projects, you know, saw my potential and how I handled tricky situations. I was the OR recruiter for the network, arguably one of the hardest nursing recruiting specialties out there, but I, I helped to move mountains and make a difference. So I, I think if you have a leader that sees you for who you are and, and sees the skills that you bring to the table and you as a performer prove that, that you can show up consistently and be effective as a, as a team player and as a leader, and you're not afraid to take those risks, fail quickly and then move on. That's what my leader saw in me. So we had a, a new system director of TA come in and reorganize the entire department, which opened up some promotional opportunities for our existing team to get into TA management. And there, there starts my first journey as leading others in a formal capacity to be in TA and solving the world's nurse recruitment problems. Yeah. So, Well, what's your, you know, so like, you know, when you think about it, right, you know, a lot of the, the you know, maybe perception with hiring managers is that, you know, talent acquisition is, is in essence a an external game, meaning I'm you know kind of focused on bringing talent outside in, right? When you look right. at you know some of our benchmark um, data, you know median, right? Internal percentage of the amount of fills that we're we're doing is you know 33, 34 percent, kind of in that range. Top tenth percentile, you know, and so these are these are folks that are maybe investing in internal mobility, have policy around this, have training, development, focus inside of an organization around that are, are doing, you know, 40, 45%, right? Uh, 40, 45% of their hires annually are internals, right? And so, you know, the, there obviously has been a, a lot of, you know, movement in, in healthcare talent acquisition. There has been a lot of turnover in a lot of organizations. And, and so, you know, that outward focus is one that, that seems obvious to me. But, you know, as you and I were talking, you know, you know I think you're, a, you're an evangelist for TA having more stake in the game uh, and, and focus on kind of that internal experience. Can you maybe unpack for me a little bit, you know, your point of view on internal mobility, 
you know, are there things that are going on at Mainline Health right now that for the broader community might be interesting or best practices even that they could take back to their desks? Sure. Yeah, I have a lot to say around this topic, so reel me in as needed. But in essence, you know, we all know, especially in healthcare, retention is uber critical, right? You're you're constantly feeling like you have to buy talent, but I think we need to shift the mindset to build our talent instead, because not that supply and demand in some of these very specific specialty areas I mentioned, OR nursing previously as one, but even like sterile processing you know, different imaging roles that are have very niche level certifications that are required for regulation. There's just not people out there that are banging down the doors Mm -hmm. to go that route or know that it's an option. So a lot of what we're looking at to do at Mainline is, is building those talent pipelines, building those apprenticeship opportunities where we don't have to buy our talent, meaning we don't have to go external anymore. Mm -hmm. We can build our talent and listen to our employees hear what they have to say. There there are people that are like, I want to get this experience. I just don't have any. How do I get that chance to grow into a space I've never even touched before? And I don't even have the certification or education you're looking for, for your job description. So how do I get there? Mm -hmm. So we're trying to help people get there. But I think it really does start with our managers, right? Mm -hmm. It starts with those relationships that managers need to have with their employees. So what my belief is to really have effective internal mobility is really skilling up our managers to have strategic career discussions. You kind of, There's that term out there, talent hoarding. Mm-hmm. I, I've got to be honest, some of our managers have this issue where it's like, oh my goodness, I have this excellent performer who's mm-hmm. doing XYZ position. I love them in this role. They're effective. The patients love them. They're doing great work. I want to keep them close. Mm -hmm. I want them to train and mentor others versus, well, what do they want to do with their career? Is that what they want? Do they want to train and mentor others? Or do they see a path in a different direction? You as the manager, have you even had that career discussion with them? And I know that sounds really simple Mm -hmm. to just say, have you had a discussion with your people to say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. But it's amazing that, you know, some of the, you know, touch points that I've had with some folks in our organization is, you know, it's kind of like, well, I know they're good at what they do today. Why is that important? Mm-hmm. Well, it's important for retention. It's important to listen and hear and really see your employees for who they authentically are and what their interests are, because that's going to then translate into a longstanding mainline health employee that feels valued, that feels heard, and that ultimately is being developed in the direction in which they want to go. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the the typical process, right, is that we post a job and then, you know, internal folks apply to it. They're in, you know, maybe some level of prioritization, maybe not. Maybe they're in with all the other applicants for that that particular role. Is there anything that that you're reimagining, if you will, for, you know, that, that internal experience so that, you know, maybe they are prioritized through the process or is it you know, just evangelism, meaning that you're spending more time with leaders uh, around this particular topic? Yeah, great question. And it's it starts with the leaders, of course, and, and evangelizing what we need to be doing mm-hmm. and, and breaking the stigma uh, of, of what exists um, a bit today. But what's also important is how do we promote open positions? Mm. And this can kind of go into what we're going to talk about when it comes to tech mm-hmm. and candidate experience. but 
today, we have an internal priority window of posting a job for five days at a minimum before we move to an offer stage for any candidate, whether internal or external. So it's got to be posted internally. Posted. If it's vacant, yeah. it, the, the policy yeah. there is five days min. Correct. Mm -hmm. So we use Taleo as our applicant tracking system, which, you know, I don't know if there's any Taleo fans out there. I am. I'm, I deployed Taleo at UPMC. So but I, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm a fan, but I, yeah. I, I know enough to be dangerous here in this conversation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got to be convinced that that's the ATS of the future. Yeah, anyway. I don't think so. I think they're done developing it, I think is yeah. the deal, right? I think it's it's about to be sunset. So, so structurally, Taleo has an internal posting um, mm -hmm box and then an external one. So what we're looking at is, well, how should we be even number one, promoting positions differently in just the, the, the write-up mm -hmm. that the, our internals are actually seeing. Mm -hmm. I just got back from Orlando, went to the Gartner Reimagine HR conference. And one of my biggest takeaways was, was you, it shouldn't just be replicated based off of what you're promoting to the external world. These are your employees that already have a general understanding of potentially what that department is, what that role is, who the manager is. And it was a light bulb for me because hmm. it was like, well, how do we maybe embed a video of that hiring manager saying, join my team. Here's what I'm looking for. Here's what our goals are. Here's what how this role could interact with the greater good. And here's how you could make an impact here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, using video, of just course. Just for like, the internals. So like speaking, the internal. speaking directly to, in, you know, internals. Yeah, I love that idea. Never, you never know, and then that, maybe yeah. we think of something modified for the external posting too, mm -hmm. but in an effort to increase internal mobility, a lot of the questions we've been getting from our employees is, well, wait, who's the manager for that position? Mm -hmm. Oh, I know that person. They're really dynamic. I've seen them develop other people, or I love the work that they're doing. I would love to learn from them. So how, you know, that's what we're problem solving through right now mm -hmm. is what is that offer that we can do on the TA end to reimagine even just how the job posting reads. Mm -hmm. Secondarily, I think there's also an access issue, which goes back to my love for Taleo. Mm -hmm. um, it's not searchable, how it was set up, very, you know, out of the box, just fresh out of the box, no really bells and whistles to how you search for a position. It's very nuanced. It's not super smart. Uh, and savvy to the to the, the applicant. So we're looking at ways to add almost a layer on top of our applicant tracking system. Mm -hmm. We're exploring opportunities with Shaker to make a, a better candidate experience lay on top to whether it's using a chatbot or searchability or the navigability of the site itself is a problem. Mm -hmm. And we've received a lot of feedback. So when we think about internal mobility, how do even internal search for postings? We gotta we gotta solve for that. Thirdly, when we think of developing future leaders at Mainline Health, we've done a great job of seeing talent, developing talent. I'm kind of a poster child of that as we started, Matt, to mm -hmm. talk about you know, how I fell into the role that I'm in over time here at Mainline. But how do we scale that at large? How do we make sure we know who our high performers are in all aspects of our business? And then what are we doing to develop them? Some of the things we've looked at or, or we already have developed are LinkedIn learning. You know, we're now tapped into that and promoting that out for self-directed, individualized learning that people can take on to develop themselves further. We've also created Aspire, which is a leadership development program. It's an apply only program. It, you know, we do about 30 to 40 folks per cohort, mm -hmm. two cohorts a year. That's great. So then we have that internal pipeline of leaders. But 
it, going back to the access part of it and knowing what's out there, knowing what jobs are even available for leaders, as an example, we've started promoting those positions out just simply by the hiring manager. Let's say it's the president of Bryn Mawr Hospital. He's hiring a vice president of operations for the role. We're sending a mass distribution out to all leaders, all mainline health managers to say, hey, I'm John Schwartz. I'm the president of Bryn Mawr Hospital. I'm hiring a VPO. This is what I'm looking for. Here's what our strategies are. Here's Love what that. our vision is. So that email is not coming from TA. That's coming from John's email itself. Correct. But oh. TA is working helping, as- we helping John craft it and give him the links yeah. and all that. Yep. From John's inbo- inbox to yours, he's saying, I encourage you to apply. Love that. So we did this, Matt. Mm-hmm. This is a job that we've recently filled and somebody starting in the role shortly. Historically, these vice president of operation roles- we would get around 200 applicants, internal and external, prior to doing this level of promotion. And maybe only five internals would apply mm-hmm. because again, there was no line of sight in mm-hmm. these roles. Mm-hmm. It was like, if you happen to be on our career site, you're going to stumble upon it. Mm-hmm. And then word of mouth. Mm-hmm. We all know how word of mouth works. But when we promoted this role, we had 21 internals apply mm-hmm. out of the overall 200 applicants. Wow. So, astronomically grew the the line of sight, we now have those 21 people that not only are we considering them for the VPO role, but we now have a pipeline of interested individuals who are current leaders of our organization that from John's mouth himself, he said, I never knew that person had an interest in growing Mm -hmm. here to this level within the organization. Let's figure out what we need to do to continue to develop them, even though right now this job isn't a match for them. Mm So we're trying to scale that at large. And this has now become a part of our just normal recipe for how do we promote our roles to our internal population and then using that you know, surplus of, okay, we now have a surplus of internals that we have to continue those career discussions and how do we hold our other leaders accountable for their development? I, I love uh, um, where you're headed directionally. And, and it's interesting to me, well, a couple of things are interesting to me and, and, and would love your your point of view and, and opinion on a couple of these. Got a client out on the West West Coast, Stanford Health, that, that actually have got a, a webinar coming up uh, here in, in December with their head of TA, Megan McCall. And she ve- she's uh, very passionate uh, about candidate care, nurturing both mm-hmm. external talent, talent pipelines and internal you know, talent pipelines. And I, I love you know, some of the steps that she has taken taken, kind of like you here in this humanization, if you will, of the experience, not hiding behind the proverbial internal career site or whatever, but they're actually getting out and doing internal talent career events, meaning, you know, talent acquisition, I think maybe some managers are getting involved and they are doing events focused on specific topics like, you know, employees interested in leadership jobs, like, Resume reviews and discussions with with hiring leaders, like career path visualization and, and using some human centered design, you know, kind of processes on that feedback, giving feedback on their application processes. Say, hey, you've been stuck in, you know, our process here. You're not moving forward, that type of thing. And so, you know, I'm I'm curious from your perspective, like, are there other things going on in, inside of mainline, outside of that, that, that kind of email thing 
that that is taking those steps. That's that's kind of like thing number one that I'm curious about is is that level of nurturing investment because I'm hearing more and more about it. The second thing that I'm interested in is and and you had talked a little bit about skills. Is I was at HR Tech recently here, and you know I couldn't stumble across the floor and not run into somebody talking about skills-based hiring, right? Mm-hmm. And I think with the advent of like of AI coming online and, and all of this, that that's really starting to maybe come back to the forefront. So the so two ideas there, right? More personalization and then, all right, that personalization, how are, how are we fitting together some career path, pathing, if you will, on that skills-based kind of frontier? Yeah. So to start, what else are we doing? Well, you know, beyond just the promotion of internal jobs, my team put together a three-part series called Mainline Health University Unlimited Growth Series, Mm. which is directly related to understanding the mainline health application process. Mm -hmm. It's a live learning that people can jump on. It's recorded. People can view it afterwards as Mm. well but it walks you through from start to finish how to conquer the application process. Because again, our tech is not perfect. People just want to know, just again, from a candidate experience perspective, what kind of timeline am I working with here? Mm -hmm. What can I expect every step of the way? So that 30-minute offering is offered out to all mainline employees. We also then secondarily have a resume building workshop for, again, quick 30 minutes, something a clinician can do quickly on their lunch break. They can either do it as a just-in-time learning or go to the live session, but it's helping with interview best or resume best practices. Mm-hmm. Thirdly is mastering the interview, the art of the interview. We all know not everyone is you know, born to interview and be an interviewee. Yeah. So how, again, can we prepare our internals to knock it out of the park yeah. authentically, not, not scripted? So again, it's a 30-minute offering as well, focusing on that topic. And I got to tell you, we had a lot of people that were like, wait, why are we helping our people create a resume and interview really well? Are we worried they're just going to go do that somewhere else? Mm -hmm. And my whole thing is like, they probably are doing that somewhere else. But if we're showing how we can, you know, be a part of that experience for them, they're going to see us investing in them and they're going to feel seen. They're going to feel heard. And then we're hoping that it'll then help them get to where they want to go within our organization versus leaving us to go somewhere else where they think they have a better chance of growing. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that idea of investment and, you know, kind of trusting the, the employee value proposition that you all are positioning, you know, not the employer, the employee, right. And, and so focus, focus there. And then, you know, the reality is, is let the cards lay where they lay. Right. And, and so, like, yeah, you know, we all have options. Every one of us has options. Lindsay, you have an option today to go seek another job. I mean, that's the great thing about, you know, the land that we live in and the work that we do is that if you, any moment in time there, there's progression. But something has kept you kind of fundamentally engaged at Mainline Health for, you know, a, a very long tenure. Right. And, and so a lot of it, you know, from my point of view is growth. Right. And so we're all seeking growth and growth looks like, you know, it looks different to every other person. Right. And, and I was given this advice a long time ago, which was Matt, you know, if you don't feel like you're learning something new every day, get away from that thing that you're doing as fast as you can. Why? 
your skills are basically becoming stagnant, right? And, and so that the stagnation of your skill set is what hampers your growth, right? And so everyone wants to feel like they're progressing. And if we as a, a structural, you know, we the ones that kind of set the playing field, set the policy, set the strategy, set the priorities, if we're not focused there, you know, it can be extremely detrimental to the organization. Well, what's your point of view on this, this skills-based, you know, hiring and, and the, the job architecture and everything that comes along with, with that? I've always found it, you know, it, it was interesting for me to see it show up at HR Tech, but I've always found it very complicated, right? Like it's, it's, it's hard to transition from, you know, kind of this experience-based, resume-based assessment into this skills-based world that, that I think everybody's wanting to go into, but it's, it's challenging. So just curious about your point of view there, and are, are you doing any work around that? Oh, my point of view. I mean, I love the move. I think it's, you know, I, I think of my parents' generation where skills-based hiring was the thing of the past, where you could see somebody, you know, my father-in-law started as a, a truck driver for Frito-Lay and driving chips to local stores. He ended his career as a regional vice president of human resources for the North yeah, uh, Mid-Atlantic region without a college degree. Mm -hmm. He just, he developed skills. It compounded over time. He stayed there for the entirety of his career because that organization invested in him. Mm -hmm. So I love the boomerang that it's coming back around. Mm -hmm. I grew up in being a millennial. I grew up where it's like, you have to go to college. Mm -hmm. Don't go to trade school, go to college. You need that four-year degree. Mm -hmm. That whole stigma around like, to what extent do I need a formal degree to be really good at something? I just don't love it. And it, it causes access issues to people who have these skills that just, they need the opportunity to show mm -hmm. those skills mm -hmm. or build upon those skills. Mm -hmm. So I'm really passionate about like, yes, let's pivot to skills-based hiring as soon as we can. You mentioned job architecture. So that's the project we're on for the next 12 to 18 months is really redesigning our job architecture. We have a ton of work to do there. So until that is fully fledged out, it's a, a huge project management that we're going through today. We can't move to skills-based hiring until that infrastructure is there. That'll help us create career ladders, lattices, matching roles across the organization where an analyst is an analyst is an analyst, no matter where the analyst sits in what department, you, you're, you're building that lattice to get people to see that the work is similar. There's just a different focal, focal point or focus area. And then so that's going to completely revolutionize what we do in talent acquisition today, where it is all driven by that handy dandy job description where it's like, OK, what are the certifications required? What's the level of experience? How many years of experience? And gone are the days where, you know, there's just such a box that we have to fit into mm -hmm. in order to meet those job description requirements. I'm really looking forward to just having a little bit more of that creative freedom and working with hiring managers to see somebody for, again, who they authentically are, what skills do they bring to the table, translating in that into, well, okay, what additional skilled technical training can we give them to get them to where we need to be, which is, again, going to increase our retention, increase that internal mobility, and ultimately get people to where they want to go with their life. Yeah. So switching gears a little bit here, we're, we're recording this uh, a few days here before Thanksgiving, and so we're we're probably what ramping for you know flu and 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 kind of COVID season, 
are you seeing, you know, kind of in the trenches, if you will, you know, that kind of fever, if you will, that comes this time of year where we got a higher, 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 or like, like, what's the, what's it feel like day to day right now? Or, or is the, is the wave not hitting just yet? Well, for anyone in healthcare, TA knows that flu season always drives a certain level of chaos Mm -hmm. and it's not always controlled chaos. And so workforce planning, strategic workforce planning, having plans listed out well ahead of time, because we we can predict what is our census going to look like for the most part. Certainly there are external forces that we can't control, like a hospital closing down the road from us that has now exponentially grown our ED intakes at a certain hospital. Yes, there's always going to be that level of nuance, but our organization is working towards more predictive analytics to Mm -hmm. say, what do we know? How can we better workforce plan? So that way in maybe seasonal high times, which again is always uh, flu season, which is now turning into COVID season. Mm -hmm. um, What do we need to do from a staffing perspective to make sure we have the right people in place to best care for our patients and the communities that we serve? So um, that is, again, foundational work that's happening. I think we've, we've done a really nice job of planning ahead in the past mm-hmm. for knowing just seasonally where our ebbs and flows are, um, or if we have a new unit opening and we know a year in advance we're going to need the following you know, number of roles across the, the continuum. Um, but, but we have to scale that. And again, I think it goes back to developing our leaders, developing our managers to say, you are the owners of your business within Mainline Health, we're here to consult with you and help you um, guide you through that process and use the data to make those decisions. So yes, we've we've seen a little bit of those 11th hour scurries to say, hey, we need X amount of medical assistance for the Southwest region of our territory because of X, Y, and Z. Yes, that's happening. So I think for, for me that there's always a constant push for my TA team to stay focused on pipelining and having that continuous bench of people making a, a diligent effort of sourcing every single day, committing to that work to say, whether I have a job or not, I need to be building that bench. So that way we can almost prepare for those 11th hour scurries yeah. and make it a little less stressful. Yeah, I mean, I, I think ideally, right? It would be great to have that that demand plan. It sounds like you know you used the word predictive that you're you're maybe moving to some analytics that are maybe nearer time uh, or even you know at some level you know real time. I think it's something though that many TA leaders really struggle with. Meaning, you know, it, it's very difficult to extract out of the business with enough lead time the demand that they actually have. Like you can predict turnover, you can, you know, say, Hey, last year turnover was 15%. So we're going to do a little bit better this year. We're going to do 12%. And then, you know, that's the forecast. Is there, is there anything from your perspective that when demand planning goes well, like, so when it, when it's working really well and the business is saying, you have this demand here, you're saying, I have this capacity and you have a deadline to have this, you know, butt in seat, if you will. When that goes well, like what what what's happening from a a planning perspective, or or how is that operating? You know, for somebody who's curious about how that works. Yeah, I have a great example of our opening of our our new psych unit at Bryn Mawr Hospital. That we knew what what was different about being prepared for that opening was that we we as talent acquisition and human resources were brought to the table eons before probably we've ever been. Hmm. 
Hmm. That was the differentiator is that the, the operational leaders saw the need to say, we need to pull in TA now. So that way we can look at, okay, what's historical time to fill for, for a mental health technician. We're going to need 30 of them Mm -hmm. on all shifts. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's look at the data to say that. And then what's our turnover with mental health techs as well. Let's compare turnover with the supply, with the demand, and let's use all of that data to say, you know, this, this is when we need to have all of our mental health tech positions started, approved, promoted out, recruited on, filled by, we had all of that information up front. And and that was a year out. That was a year before the opening of that unit. Um, And that, to me, just having a a stake in the game as talent acquisition gave us that ability to understand our sourcing and pipelining activities, understand, okay, when do we need to do hiring events to promote this out? Okay, what are we doing from a social media recruitment marketing perspective? Okay, do we need to get in touch with schools to help us get those mental health techs that we're going to need? Mm -hmm. So it all just dominoed effect because the business saw us, the business saw the need to bring in the experts of, well, how do we make sure we're fully staffed by day one of open and not just fully staffed by day one of open, but also two to three weeks prior to open so they can be fully trained and ready to go for open. So that, that to me is the talent acquisition has to have a seat at the table with those, we call them entities, but those entity leaders that mm-hmm. sit on the leadership team at each campus which will then help develop that workforce plan to give us a sense of of this of what's needed, and then my team can deliver on it. So a couple of things to maybe unpack there a little bit. Just overall curiosity, you know, back to your I'm thinking back to your LinkedIn bio, you know, your your kind of intro, and and so you know, data oriented, right? And, and I've heard you use you know analytics data, like as we're going through this, right? And I'm thinking back to your undergrad, and you weren't a statistician. You're not mathematically, like you didn't get a math degree, right? Now, I I guess I'm curious. My curiosity is piqued by, you know, I talk to a lot of TA leaders week in, week out. And and sometimes the the analytics side of this or the data side of this is is seemingly daunting. It, It seems overwhelming, right? How, how, and maybe you're going to tell me you, you had a math degree and I didn't see it on your LinkedIn and that would be easy, <laughs> but, but how, how, how are you blending the, the analytics? How are you yourself as a leader educating yourself on, on how to leverage those with the functional expertise of running a team day in and day out? You know, a little bit to unpack there, but I guess what I'm aiming at is how do you become a data-oriented TA leader? Sure. I am not a statistician. I do not have a math degree. Math is actually my least favorite subject. But what I've learned as a leader is that to have the right tools or the right resources to go to to understand and extrapolate data is super critical. Mm-hmm. And then over time, it just becomes who you are mm-hmm. as a leader. And so practice makes progress, right? Uh, So we're very fortunate here at Mainline to have a people analytics manager who built us a Tableau dashboard for all of HR and every leader within the organization that has access to our most basic demographics of our employees, Mm -hmm. as well as our hiring data, as well as our turnover data, as well as our premium pay data, which is, again, like how much we pay for agency spend over time, et cetera. So this 
it starts there. So I would, my advice to viewers, if you don't have a tool like that for someone who's not a statistician, that tool, which I was a part of the build to give input on what's needed and how we can use that information to then have consultative strategic talent advisor discussions with our hiring managers and leaders, that is super critical. And it, it not only created a view for every leader within the organization to all be looking at the same data, because mm-hmm. we had a kind of like the data, like ring around like the What's road. the source like, of truth? Is right. it your number well, or is it my truth. number? Right. Yeah. So this magical <laughs> data warehouse mm-hmm. became of existence, mm-hmm. pulling from all the different systems that give us this information. And our people analytics manager created this dashboard, which is very interactive mm-hmm. and it's updated monthly. So the first of every month, you know, we're sending out a workforce analytics executive summary to mm-hmm. every leader in the organization to help build their business acumen to understand where we are, what's happening, what do these numbers mean? So again, us investing the time and the resources into that was super critical for people like me or somebody else in the organization that needed a greater understanding that mm-hmm. maybe couldn't just take a data point and say, okay, well, now what do I do with that data? Yeah. I think sometimes people get very caught up in the numbers and mm-hmm. it's like, well, what do the numbers really mean? What story what are is it telling? Numbers? What is the story here, right? Yes. Yep. But then what next? We mm-hmm. have all these numbers. It's telling a story. Yes. But then how what do action solve? do I take? What, what do we do now? Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, so so for, for listeners, it sounds like what's impacted you the most at some level is having some data visualization at your fingertips, right? Whether that's lagging or, you know, leading data and, and maybe not having to do some of that mathematics on your own Excel sheet, right? And so like you don't have to pull it down and kind of figure out what it means that you, you've invested in some base infrastructure there, which, which makes a ton of sense. And, and I think it's an, 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 an enabler, excuse me, for TA leaders, right? And so I actually, you know, have a, a very similar background to yours, like a marketing degree, like math is not my strongest suit, but I was curious enough about like what it meant, right? And then more importantly, I, I think on your path, you surrounded yourself with the right people, right? And, and so you don't necessarily have to be, I guess the, probably the message is you don't have to be a data expert to be data oriented, but you've got to invest some time and energy in your own development and, and make sure that you're hanging out with the right people. Spot on. Cool. A couple, maybe one, two questions, and then we can be done uh, on our first, you know, kind of interaction here t- together. Um, why, why healthcare for you? Like, I, I you know, I, I, I usually get a very similar answer, but I'm just kind of curious what 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 keeps you inside of healthcare. You obviously have a ton of experience now, ton ton of talent. You could go do a lot of different things. Like why why healthcare right now? Yeah, you know, I grew up as a candy striper at the local hospital, delivering blood specimens to the lab for the units, and I, I kind of grew up in that environment, volunteering. I knew I wasn't the, I'll say the blood and guts kind where I wanted to be hands-on and doing the actual patient care, but I knew healthcare always just spoke to me that there was always that greater purpose behind what you do every day. I think we all need healthcare. Mm -hmm. We all know that healthcare is is a stable industry and environment because we as people, as humans need human care. And for me, I mean, that brings me to work every day, knowing that the impact that I'm making specifically in TA, is to make sure that our communities have the resources they need for when they're most vulnerable and when they need 
the help from a healthcare provider. And it's my team's responsibility to make sure we have those healthcare providers available. So that's, you know, I'm a, I'm a big, you know, mission-driven person. So again, to believe in the product you're selling as a TA person, like I believe in everyone has the right to access to healthcare and, and getting there and, and making sure that it's a trusted resource and knowing what mainline health stands for. I can get up every day and put my head on the pillow every night, knowing I'm, I'm doing this work for an organization that authentically uh, delivers that on a day-to-day basis. Love that. Last question. So if we could rewind and go back, you know, five years before you got into leadership. Sure. Okay. And you could go back and give yourself a, a piece of advice to prepare you to be in leadership. So like, hey, I'm, 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 you know, I'm the talent acquisition partner. I'm the senior talent acquisition partner. I'm grinding on my recs, you know, with the OR. We've been talking a lot about development today. We've been talking a lot about mobility. If there is a piece of advice that you could give yourself to make, you know, the transition to leadership better, make it easier, make it more impactful to the humans that you serve, what would be that piece of advice that you would give yourself? Yeah, honestly, what I think it comes down to is, and you you talked about this earlier on, but growth doesn't happen when you're comfortable. Mm -hmm. Put yourself out of your comfort zone because that's where growth, learning, and development happens naturally. So although I feel like I did that five years ago or I took some risks, I I mean, I I reflect back on, gosh, I I didn't expect to only be here two and a half years to then be being promoted to a TA manager role. I could have been an individual contributor recruiting OR and ER nurses until I was, you know, I don't know, five to seven years down the line before I was probably itching for something different. But I I got out of my comfort zone and I saw the opportunity in front of me to apply for this role and, and be the selected person for it. And and that took some some guts. That took some like yeah, let me step out of the box here. And yeah, it's sooner than you expected. But you know, I was I was 26 years old with my leading people twice my age. Yep. Um, and that was uncomfortable. For but sure. you know, talking to the right people, having really impactful mentors in my life, believing in myself. I mean, that all comes with growing. But then again, it goes back to being okay with failing and not doing it right the first time, but then quickly pivoting again, it goes back to what I started our conversation about is you got to be agile. You've got to learn from those mistakes, from those errors, because that's what's going to help you be the best at what you can be. Um, yeah, that, that's what I would say to my younger self, uh, for getting to where I am today. Sage advice. And uh, so if um, somebody wants to engage, learn more, ask questions about all the cool stuff that's going on at, at Mainline, how would they reach out to you? Yeah, send me. Well, I imagine we're promoting this on LinkedIn. So send me a LinkedIn note. Happy to connect. I love hearing what other people have gone through. I actually just joined uh, an employee resource group here at Mainline Health. It's a a women's development network, Hmm. ERG. So um, part of that mission is to learn from others, grow from from others. So for me, um, I take that out of that ERG as well and out of the work I'm doing and, and translating that professionally across the, the spectrum here on LinkedIn. So certainly just reach out. I'd love to keep in touch, Matt, of course, For you sure. and I, as we are. But yeah, I love to learn from other people because I'm sure we all have similar experiences that can 
and be mutually beneficial to learn from. Awesome. Well, hey, we really appreciate you, you trenching in here today. We appreciate uh, everything that you do for healthcare and for the talent acquisition community. And uh, thanks for your time. Thanks, Matt. And thanks, viewers. And I uh, hope to be back on here sometime again soon. I had a lot of fun. All right, Linda. All right. We want to thank you for listening to TA in the Trenches. We are produced by Iron Mike and his team at Ironbound Media. Keep up the great work, team. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You also can find me out on LinkedIn where you'll find quick show riffs. Feel free to ping me. I always respond. Bye for now.